Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Ski. Welcome to another episode of Private Eyes Are Watching You. As you'll notice, no guests today. That's all right. What I wanted to do is answer one of the most frequent questions I always get when I tell somebody I'm a private investigator. It's always uh, unique. It's generally new. Um, and typically anywhere I go, if I get in an Uber and the driver says, oh, you know, we get talking, oh, what do you do? Um, and I tell them I'm a private investigator, typically the response is a couple of things. One, oh, I've, I've never met a private investigator. Two, uh, I've always wanted to be an investigator or I always thought I'd be a good private investigator. And number three is how'd you get involved in that? How did you first become a private investigator? So, uh, which are all valid questions and I get them all the time, whether I'm in an Uber or if I'm sitting on a plane, heading somewhere and uh, talking to my neighbor in the seat next to me, or just in general, meet someone out um, or having conversations with people or networking events, uh, chamber of commerce, things like that. We're the only private investigative company in our chamber of commerce here in St. Petersburg. So it's just not that often that people meet a private investigator and they generally have a lot of questions, um, which makes total sense because it's an interesting career. It's an interesting uh, job. It's an interesting profession and people want to know and hear more about it. So if you're currently a private investigator and you're not using that to your advantage when you're networking and growing your client base and growing your customer base, you really should. Because I always say, if you go to a networking event or you go to a party even, or you go to a bar and 10, 15 people are around, if everyone went around and they said what they do for a living, um, at the end of that, you can rest assured that most people are gonna be more interested in what you're doing and want to have a conversation with you and have some questions about what you do because they typically have never met a private investigator or they have these preconceived ideas about what we do as private investigators. And so it's always very interesting. You know, most people, if you go around in a circle and someone's a doctor and someone's a lawyer and someone's a real estate agent, and someone's a teacher and somebody um, is a bartender or whatever their job is, um, people pretty much feel like they know what those people do. Yeah, you're an attorney, I know what you do. They might ask what kind of field you're in, or if you say you're a doctor, oh, what kind of type of medicine do you practice? But a lot of people are just fascinated when you tell them you're a private investigator. So if you are a PI right now, you need to use that to your advantage when you're networking, growing your business, and growing your contact list. Um, if you're not a private investigator, you probably have those questions yourself. You probably wondered, how does someone become a private investigator? Or I always thought I'd be a good private investigator. How does someone get in that field? Well, that's what I'm here to tell you today. So get ready for today's episode of Private Eyes Are Watching You. So if you've heard my story before, you know a little bit about it. Uh, back in the late 90s, I joined the Coast Guard. I was stationed down on Clearwater Beach at a search, search and rescue station, we would go out and help boaters and um, individuals out on the water that were in distress. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of hurricanes down here and tropical storms. Um, we have a lot of novice boaters down here in the area. And so it was a very busy, active Coast Guard station. Um, and I did four years there on Clearwater Beach and I was ready to get out. I was looking for uh, a job. Mainly, I was looking to get into law enforcement, you know, either locally, uh, state agency, federal agency, whatever it was. And I was applying for a lot of those jobs. Um, but a lot of those jobs are slow uh, recruiting 
processes. You know, you file an application, then there might be an initial test, physical test, medical test, psychological test. You know, these can take six months to a year to get hired in law enforcement. So in the meantime, I was doing, now this was in the very early stages of searching for jobs online. So I think it was monster.com was one of the big ones or a lot of local um, newspaper classified ads were online now and you could do some kind of rudimentary searches for jobs. This was around 2000, 2001. And I found a job for an investigator. There wasn't a lot of details. It didn't say private investigator. It didn't say, I can't remember exactly what the, the headline was, but it basically uh, stated, you know, a couple things. If you uh, despise uh, fraud, if you are a self-motivated, if you find obtaining information interesting, whatever the little headline was in the little job description, I thought, okay, but I was applying for so many jobs. I mean, I can't remember the exact ad, but this was just one more job I applied for. And so I got a call from the recruiter and he explained to me a little bit more about it was. And at the time, this was my first job. I worked, uh, this company that called me was named Omega Insurance Services. And the reason why it was called insurance services, because that was pretty much all they did. They had a investigations firm that handled insurance fraud, typically workers' compensation, some disability, personal injury claims, things like that, where someone is saying they're injured and perhaps they are, perhaps they're not. That's what the insurance company wants to investigate. So the recruiter, who later became a good friend of mine, he said, um, look, here's your first here's the first test on the interview. You have an interview next week, you know, whatever it was, Monday at two o'clock. He says, you have an interview next week and I'm not telling you where our offices are. You have to find our offices. And so again, this was in the early stages of searching for things online and looking up addresses. This is kind of when people use MapQuest and those other things, but you couldn't just pull out your phone, Google search and find an address, but um, it wasn't hard to find them. They were established company. They were in the yellow pages. They were listed online, Omega Insurance Services. I find their headquarters office. Um, but I just thought it was cool that uh, the recruiter, you know, basically was like, hey, I'm not telling you where our office is. I'm not telling you where I am. I'm just telling you to find me and be at this interview on this day at this time. And so right away, I was just like, man, that's cool. Um, you know, that's a unique little way to kind of test the enthusiasm of your, your candidate and to see if they're really interested in the job and really want to um, pursue it as a career. So I went and had the interview. It was totally cool. Uh, one of the funny things that I remember them asking, and in hindsight, I mention this to people all the time, they always asked their recruits if they enjoyed hunting or fishing. And I'm, I've never been a big hunter. I didn't grow up in a family that, that did a lot of hunting, but uh, my father would take me fishing. And over the years, I, you know, we did a lot of fishing in the Coast Guard, had a lot of buddies who were big into fishing in the Coast Guard. And we'd go out on charter boats out in the Gulf and, and fish for grouper and everything else down here in Florida. And so I found the question curious, but I said, you know, yeah, I, I enjoy fishing. I, I enjoy getting out there. Um, and he said, that's good. He said, we always find that investigators who are going to work surveillance operations are really, really good if they can enjoy waiting and waiting and waiting in anticipation of that exciting moment of that action. So that's why they would ask if people liked hunting or fishing, because when you're sitting on surveillance, 
despite what the movies and TV will, would have you believe, 95% of the time when you're sitting on surveillance, you're doing nothing. You're just sitting in your car, you're staring at a building or a house or a vehicle, and you're just waiting for something to happen. And so that therein lies the parallel in hunting and fishing is that you're sitting there, you, you, you've got your, your line in the water, so to speak, and you're just waiting for that subject to come out. You're just waiting for them to walk into view. You're just waiting for them to come out of their, their office or their residence. And so it was a good parallel and it was interesting. And again, so I'm finding all of this real fascinating just during the recruitment and the interview process. I'm really getting excited about what we're going to do. And so it was very typical. It was, there, you know, there wasn't anything about my particular situation of becoming a private investigator other than literally applying for a job and it kind of falling in my lap. Um, I went to many interviews when I was getting out of the Coast Guard, but I'll tell you what, one of the number one driving forces was, of course, uh, was that I needed a job. You know, I was getting out of the service. Uh, I had a, my son was only one year old at the time and I just needed a job. I needed to make sure that income was, was going to be there and I could take care of my family. So, um, so I took the job and at the time, like I said, I was living in Clearwater, Florida, and this company, Omega, was a nationwide firm. They had investigations uh, throughout the U.S., and they said, well, we don't have anything right now for you in Florida, but, you, but would you mind moving to Charleston, South Carolina? Now, I'd never been up there before. I didn't know anything about it, but it didn't matter. I needed a job. I needed to make sure I had some income, and so I took it, and so it was interesting that this company was really great. They actually used to provide you with two full weeks of training. I mean, intense PI training. And I got to tell you, for those of you who came into this field and didn't ever really have a mentor or immediately work for a company that provided you with really intense, specific training, you're missing out because there's so much to learn. And of course you can't learn everything in two weeks, but they taught their investigators so much in just those first two weeks that it really set the table, good foundation for my entire career. And I always go back to that training. In fact, my buddies and I, we still have some of that old training documents laying around and we share them from time to time because there's so much valuable information in those training manuals. And anyway, so they would give you two full weeks of training. The first week was classroom training. It would literally go over terms and techniques and, you know, classroom stuff, even how to write your reports and, you know, how to document things properly. You know, we were using eight millimeter tapes back then. So just evidence chain of custody, making sure we were, we're documenting everything that we were doing uh, properly. And then they would also give us exercises. So, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, we did some field training in which we would follow one of the managers or we would um, go to a local grocery store and just pick a random person and treat them as our subject and follow them around the rest of the day and see if we could maintain contact with them and obtain video of them and whatnot. So the training was unbelievable. I mean, just a great group of people providing that training. And then the second week of training, you actually rode along with an experienced private investigator, rode shotgun, he or she would teach you the ropes, teach you how to get set up in the morning, teach you where to, your, your optimal um, situation for surveillance and obtaining video. So this company just did a, a tremendous job of training private investigators. And um, which is great because 
there's, for those of you who don't know, obtaining a PI license in some states is very difficult and requires a lot of experience, background, education, training, and money. Um, in other states, you literally can wake up tomorrow and be a private investigator. And so depending on where you live or where you're gonna work and operate, the, the requirements for becoming a private investigator vary greatly from state to state, okay? And so there are a lot of private investigators in a lot of parts of the country who never got that type of training and have never had that type of um, background and understanding of what to do as a private investigator and how it's different, um, let's say, than working in the uh, private sector as, as a, or in the public sector, I'm sorry, as a law enforcement agent, uh, which is generally where most private investigators come from is the law enforcement space. Uh, they retire or they get out of police work and they open up a private investigation agency, which is great. I've known tons of great ex-law enforcement officers who have become private investigators. And I've also known a lot of great private investigators who just, that, that's all they've ever done like myself. So anyway, um, and if you, by the way, if you want to learn more, if you, if you're, if you're not a private investigator and you're listening to this and you've ever aspired to be a private investigator or just wanted more information or you thought, hey, I'd, I'd like to learn more about becoming a private investigator, um, we have a website. It's mypicareer.com. So just my, M-Y, P-I, the letters P-I, career.com. So you can check out mypicareer.com anytime. There's a, I, I do a video on there that talks about the different types of work we do you know, earning capacity, um, outlook on the future of the industry, all that kind of stuff. And then we've got all sorts of training there as well. So check that out um, when you get a chance, mypicareer.com. But anyway, I want to tell you a story about my first case because this is hilarious. So my very first case. So like I said, I had gone through this training, right? I went through the training. I, I went home, packed up all my stuff. My wife, my young son, we drove to Charleston, South Carolina got a place to stay. And I immediately had some cases. So the first case I pull up my, my, you know, company gave me a couple of days to move up there and get settled in, but I get my first assignment. I'm like, okay, great. You know, I've got my assignment. I, I've got it written down in basically a notebook. Um, and I said, all right, this is great. So I look up, my first case is an hour and a half away. Okay. Now we start surveillance typically at six in the morning. So that means I need to leave at 4.30 in the morning, which probably means I need to get up around 4 a.m. just to get everything squared away and out the door. No big deal. I just spent four years in the military. I know about getting up early all hours of the night, but for whatever reason, probably nervous excitement, I, uh, I, I didn't get much sleep the night before, but still got up at four, left at 4.30, got to the subject's residence uh, from Charleston to this little town called Georgetown, South Carolina. And I set up on surveillance. I was so excited. You know, there's, there's the lady's car. She was out on work comp. She claimed she couldn't do any work, her back, shoulders, knees, like every, she had all sorts of issues um, from a prior job. But there was a lead that she was working at a car dealership in Myrtle Beach. So I get there 6 a.m. I'm all set up, good to go. Her vehicle's in the driveway. I got a nice view down the street. I'm just gonna wait for her to leave and see what she does. Well. That previous night's poor sleep caught up with me. And what did I do? First day, first morning on the job, I fell asleep. Fell asleep in my car. 
don't know how long, maybe just dozed off 10, 15 minutes. Um, but I woke up to every private investigator's nightmare. The subject's vehicle was gone. So I was there in the morning, everything was great. Her car was there, I got a great setup. Dozed off for a few minutes, opened my eyes, vehicle's gone. Again, this is my first day on the job. I'm working for this big nationwide company with all these PIs who, who just are phenomenal, experienced, great PIs. So I'm in a panic. I, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to get fired on the first day because that's the cardinal rule of surveillance is do not fall asleep. Your subject will leave or be active when you fall asleep. And so luckily for me, luckily for me, the lead on her new workplace in Myrtle Beach was specific. They said, look, we think she's working at this particular dealership in Myrtle Beach. So I drive and maybe from Georgetown to Myrtle Beach, it's a 35, 40 minute ride to this dealership. Now the whole time you gotta imagine, I'm sweating, I'm concerned, I'm, I'm scared. I'm thinking, man, if I gotta call my boss and tell him on the first day I fell asleep and lost my subject, I, I'm not gonna live this one down. And on top of it, I, I could lose my job. So I get out to the dealership and as soon as I drive around the corner, around the block of the dealership, this is a huge car dealership. One of those ones that has hundreds, if not thousands of vehicles on the lot. It's a big, huge dealership. I go around the back and I see my subject's vehicle. So the relief just comes out of me. I'm like, man, thank goodness she's there. Thank goodness her car's here. This is great. Where is she now? And as soon as I drive around the back, I see her in the parking lot. And what is she doing? She's working on the cars. So one of her jobs apparently was to open the hoods, check the oil, check the windshield washer fluid, just basically check the fluids on the vehicles. This is what she was doing. She was basically going car to car to car, opening the door, opening it up, lifting the hood, checking everything, you know, pouring fluids in if it needed to be topped off or whatever. You know, nothing crazy, nothing like overly strenuous, but she's out on workers comp and she's working. So this is, this is fraud. Um, and, and, you know, some of the things she's doing are directly contradictory to what she said she can't do. Lifting her arms up over her head, her shoulders were injured, her back, leaning over, bending into the engines underneath the uh, hoods. So I'm ecstatic. And believe it or not, on my first day, because of the way the dealership was positioned, the lot went up against these, uh, this wooded area, a heavily wooded area. I actually got out of my surveillance vehicle to get a better spot and actually sat in the woods behind a tree and, and just with my little camera and just videotaped her from the woods behind the dealership. So I'm getting great video, right? I'm getting 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour plus of video of her just working, doing everything she says she can't do and um, having a good time. So I'm, I'm, I'm back like feeling great, you know, forget about the fact that I fell asleep. I can tell my boss that and it will kind of be funny because now I've already got all this great video. This is awesome. Well, the subject uh, took a break after a little while. She must've went in got a coffee or whatever. And when she came out, she was now working on the front of the dealership on the vehicles up there. So I no longer could get any video from the wooded area. 
and I couldn't really get video from the front because it was a major highway. It was like a three lane each way with a median in the middle. And there was no good place for me to park my vehicle like in an inconspicuous way. So I decided to go across the street. There was a, um, I think it was like a pet clinic, maybe some kind of veterinary office or something like that, but it was closed down. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I can just set up, park there, and I have a great view of her. She's never going to look across all these lanes of traffic, and I'm going to be getting more great video. So I go over there, and I am. I'm getting great video of her. Now she's in the front doing the same thing, checking the fluid. She was even cleaning some of the vehicles, vacuuming them out, cleaning the windows, you know, just doing normal stuff on the, on the dealer lot to, to make sure the vehicles are maintained and, and look good for potential customers. So, um, but being, being a rookie on the job first day again, you know, making all kinds of mistakes. I got so hyper-focused on what I was doing in the video I was obtaining and, and wasn't kind of paying attention to my surroundings. Um, I'm sitting there just getting great video. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm like kind of getting a little bit like full of myself. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm getting this video. This is exactly what they trained me to do. I'm so excited. And uh, I get a knock on my window that wait, if you're focused on one thing and looking at your camera and shooting video and someone just knocks on your window, man, it scared the crap out of me. So of course I jump, I look over and it's kind of like this disheveled looking guy, kind of, he was an old white guy. He, I, I should talk scraggly beard like this, you know, uh, hair unkempt. Look at me. I haven't had a haircut since, uh, since before coronavirus, but I'm like, what, who is this guy? And what, what could he possibly want? So I rolled down the window a little and he's like, Hey man, you got any cigarettes? And I said, no, man, I don't smoke. So he says, okay, no problem. And he walks over and I see where he walks and there's a little like I said, the place I was in was a, was a vet clinic, but it was shut down and it was kind of on the side of the road. And so I look over and this little area was like a homeless camp. You know, they had a few tents and some tarps and all kind of trash everywhere and everything. And this is, this is kind of like just like a little homeless encampment. And so I don't pay him any mind. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm focused on this over here. And uh, probably 30 minutes later, the guy comes back again. And he's walking in front of my car and I'm kind of trying to get him out of the way because now he's blocking my camera. But he sees my camera through the windshield. And he doesn't know exactly what I'm doing, but he knows I'm, my camera's pointed across the street at this dealership. So he says, uh, why are you filming the dealership? And so I try to play it off. I'm like, oh man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm filming the traffic. You know, we're doing a traffic survey. I try to try to run some kind of pretext. And I say, no, man, I'm just shooting traffic. You know, we're trying to get a count and we, you know, do other things to see how many commercial vehicles versus passenger vehicles. And so he, he kind of buys that and he leaves. So I'm getting tons of great video. The claimant leaves. She actually went to, to, to lunch. So I followed her there and she stopped at a gas station. And so I shot a little video, but I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump in there. I bought a pack of cigarettes and I said, let me, you know, give these, these homeless people a pack of cigarettes and maybe they'll leave me alone. Right. Wrong, wrong. I go back, I set up 
the guy comes back over, of course. I said, hey, man, you know, I know this is your little area and, you know, I, I'm kind of intruding on your space here, but let me do you a solid. I got you a pack of cigarettes. So I give him the cigarettes and initially he's like, oh, man, that's great. Awesome. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And I'm there another couple hours still shooting video on this lady and uh, getting good stuff. And he comes back over and I'm like, man, what could this guy possibly want? Well, I gave him a pack of cigarettes. So now he's going to ask me for the next thing. He wants some food or wants me to go down and get, I can't remember what he asked me for. It was either food or beer, go down to the store, get him something else. And I said, no, man, I can't do that. I got to stay here. I can't, can't leave. And so he got kind of upset with me. And the next thing I know, he's walking across the street to the dealership, across six lanes of traffic. And I see him find a salesman that's out on the lot. You know, the salesman just kind of walked the lot waiting for people to come in. And he starts talking to the salesman and turns around and points right at my car and is telling him like, hey, this guy's, he must, must have been telling him I had a video camera and was recording the, the dealership or whatever. So it uh, pretty much ended my surveillance for that day because they, everyone knew I was there now. Um, I recall right when I was leaving, the police also showed up. So I don't know if the dealership called or this guy or, or they just saw me sitting there all day in this vacant lot. So they came over, but um, had a little conversation with them. So it was a very interesting first day of surveillance ever that I was on my own between falling asleep in the morning then finding the subject, getting all kinds of great video on her still, and then making more rookie mistakes by letting these guys see what I was doing, trying to engage with them, trying to play it off, and just um, a great, like so many great learning lessons from that first day on surveillance. And I remember uh, driving back from Myrtle Beach back to Charleston and calling my boss and just breaking down this whole day for him and it was so funny because he was such a great guy. He was just like, man, you learned more in one day of surveillance than some investigators learn in months or years on the job, just with all the, the hiccups you had and the things you overcame, shooting video in the woods, finding another position, getting all kinds of video on her, you know, making mistakes, falling asleep, engaging with people you didn't need to engage with being in a position where they could see that you were actually filming. He's like, man, you made some great moves and some big mistakes, but nevertheless, man, you learned a lot on this first day of surveillance. And, you know, the funny part was that not only between what happened out there in the field on that first day, but also the reaction from my manager at the time um, really, really, really um, helped ingrained in me that I really was going to enjoy this job. I really was going to enjoy the unknown of each day's basically adventure out there on surveillance, trying to follow people, trying to obtain video, trying to do it in a way where you don't lose them, but at the same time, they don't catch you. You know, there's all these pitfalls when you're conducting surveillance that uh, until you get out there, you really have no idea. So just a fun, interesting story about you know, how I became a private investigator in my first couple experiences out there in the field. Um, but that was, that was a good one. It was interesting and it was fun. And, and I really, really had um, some great people that I worked with at that first agency, Omega. And um, I mentioned my manager, so I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. But my manager at the time was, was a guy named John Reddick. 
called him JR. He was a great mentor of mine, great manager. And uh, later when I became a manager at that same company, we ended up becoming colleagues and working together. And, and he helped me as much become a great manager and facilitator of, of cases and investigations as he did when I was in the field as a private investigator. And um, unfortunately, um, JR, as we used to call him, uh, passed away a few years back. And so thank you, JR. You were definitely uh, instrumental in my career and my success. And um, rest in peace, brother. Anyway, again, if you're a private investigator and you're looking for more information, you're looking to grow your business, you're looking to increase your revenue and income, go to sixfigurepi.com. There's some great free material there that I've put together. There's also some great training that you can take at sixfigurepi.com. And if you're an aspiring private investigator or ever wanted more information about becoming a private investigator, go to mypicareer.com, okay? Mypicareer.com. And there's so much more great content there, so much more information. And as always, don't forget every single week, Join us here wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel because you never know when private eyes are watching you.